Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. So as we come today and we reflect upon Jesus that gives us rest, as we reflect upon our good Father, I want to ask you to try to quantify where you are in terms of restlessness. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being low, 10 being very high, how restless are you? Put a number beside it. How restless is your soul? Right now, decide a number. (laughs) Don't just watch. Engage. Scale of 1 to 10, 1 being low, 10 being high, how restless are you right now? It's pretty obvious that there's all kinds of reasons to be restless. Our schedule, some of us have had a full week. Many of us have been, had a very lazy week or two, and we're restless from too much screen time. Or we may be restless from the demands and expectations of family. Or we may be restless because we know we should be doing better in life, but we can't seem to make life work. Um, I want to ask you, what's your number? Put a number by it. Captured in your mind, and I want to invite you to Christ's rest today. You know, COVID is one thing that we can be restful about. As we watched our worship leaders there, 80% of those people have COVID right now. You can pray for that. That was a previous time that we recorded, and we put it up there because we thought we cannot study Psalm 132 without singing together and especially Uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. It's interesting, restlessness, I think, is very prominent in our lives right now. A lot of research has come in already on COVID. Uh, 18 months ago, uh, a recent study that came out on what was going on 18 months ago from the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in the United States of America uh, said this, that the people that they studied, which was quite a few, got actually from March to July of 2020, they actually got 25 to 30 minutes more sleep every night. But the average person walked half as much, socialized half as much, which was 30 minutes, and spent twice the amount of time on screens, which is five hours a day. I wanna ask you, during that season in your life, Did your heart grow more restful, even though you might have gotten more sleep? Or did it remain restless? Which proves, I think you probably would say the latter, it proves that rest is more than just sleep. You know, we need, most of us truly need sleep. But no matter the way the rhythms of life that we're engaging with, like a lot of on screens like this, Most of those screen time do not give us rest like today is designed to do. Most of that screen time gives, produces a restlessness in your soul. And so you need to pursue rhythms and um, ways of life that encourage you to go to Jesus, encourage you to get rest for your soul. Uh, I want this time right now to be restful for you, to be restful for you. And I wanna ask you, how committed are you to that? How committed are you to seeking the Lord right now? 
How committed are you to singing to the Lord, to praying to the Lord, to reading scripture together right now? Because we believe that Christ brings rest for our souls. But do you functionally believe it? Are you acting upon that? I want to invite you right now to prioritize the scripture with me and open up with your Bibles or your apps to Psalm 132 and let us look at this song that was sung. It was a song of ascent. It was one of these pilgrimage songs that the Jews, when they travel up to Jerusalem, they'd sing back and forth, kind of like when you go to your favorite football game, the pregame, you can have the crowd singing the different songs in the same way they would sing this psalm ascent as they ascended into Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And the same kind of idea, it, they were fully engaged. They were fully remembering why they were going. And they were fully saying, we're going to pursue the Lord and find rest for our souls. So Psalm 132, in your own, uh, wherever you are, I want you to stand up in honor of God and his word as I read to you Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house. I will not give sleep to my eyes. Sorry. I will not enter in my house or go to my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place in the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant, David, do not turn the, away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation. Her saints I will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning I want to talk to you about uh, three things. Getting off the couch. Second of all is God's presence dwelling with us. 
and third of all, Christ giving you rest, okay? So that's what we're gonna do is we're gonna cover, you know, when I say get off the couch, I'm getting that here from what David says. Let me read to you verses one through five one more time from Psalm 132. He said this, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Literally, he's saying, I will not go into the tent of my house or go to the couch of my bed. He's literally saying that. Uh, that's what the, we've smoothed it over for translation reasons and for reading reasons. But that's what he said. David gets up off the couch. He pursues God's presence over his comfort. God's presence over his comfort. I'm gonna ask you today, are you pursuing God's presence in your life over your comfort? David chooses restlessness because he has a holy restlessness that he knows that we have it, verse six, this ark of the covenant. That's what it says, verse six. Behold, we heard it in Ephrathah and we found it in the fields of Jar. What is that? That's the Ark of the Covenant. You know what the Ark of the Covenant is. It is the thing that housed God's presence in the Exodus. It's the thing that held the Ten Commandments of God. During the wandering in the wilderness, uh, God's people would follow this and they would take the Ark and then they would put it in its tent in the tabernacle at night and uh, God would dwell in the midst and middle other people. Well, years later in 1 Samuel, we read that the Philistines captured the ark and they put it in uh, a temple with their God, which I'm Texan, so I'll call it Dagon. Uh, Dagon and uh, the ark were in the same room and the door was closed. It was like there was a battle, a cosmic battle that night. Who would win? The Philistine god, Dagon, or would uh, the god of the Israelites uh, win? Uh, and, and so the next morning, what happened was the soldiers, the Philistine soldiers came and opened the door and Dagon had fallen down. His head had broken and rolled off. And I don't know what he said, but he probably walked in and said, Dagon it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a dad, okay? I'm a dad. I've got to have a dad joke in here somewhere. Dad got it. Our God cannot compete with the Almighty Lord, with the God of Israel. And the Philistines got really scared. They broke out in tumors. It was just a wild time. They sent it on a cart up the hill to the Jews. It stayed in the town with the Jews for a little while. And then they got scared, even though they were Jews and this was their God. And they sent it to another place called Kirath-Jerim, which is also called Jar, which is referred to in verse 6. And so there it sat, one commentator explains, for over a hundred years. And David finally comes along and says, now hold on a second. God's presence is in some remote village. We know how to take care of it. We know how to worship God. The instructions are clear. We've got the Torah. Uh, we've got the Old Testament books that tells us how to treat this thing. We need to bring it into Jerusalem. 
We need to bring it into David's city, his place. We need to give it a home, a temple. We need to be worshiping the Lord. No more let God stay on the outside of our lives. Bring him in on the inside. And so that's what David says. He uh, knows the people are afraid, but also wanting to worship God. And David takes the lead. David takes charge. And that encourages the people. Verse 7. The people say, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you in the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. And so David's passion to choose God's comfort over his comfort or God's presence over David's comfort his uh, commitment to get off the couch spreads and the people want to worship God now, okay? The people want to uh, worship him. They want to pray to him. They want to read scripture together. They want to go to church. And the things that make a fantastic church experience is church leaders that are passionate about the Lord, 100% sold out. And people in the church that are 100% sold out. Why? Because that's the perfect marriage because God is already 100% sold out on us. And so it's time for us to get off the couch and to own our own spiritual growth, to receive the rest that is so promised to us and that is such good news to us that comes through Jesus. And so I want to talk to you a little bit more about God's presence dwelling with us. In verse 11 and 12, we read about that. David swore an oath before, now God's swearing an oath back. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If, you keep, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. And so God will send one of David's descendants to the throne of David. And the requirement is that he keeps the law perfectly. Well, that's, of course, what we find. What God does is he comes, uh, his presence does come to Jerusalem. They bring the ark to Jerusalem. Solomon builds a temple for Jerusalem after David. God provides for the people and the poor. He makes the pastors godly. It says right down here in verses 13 through 18, he gives the people a song of joy like this one, the song of ascent. And he gives us a strong king, which is this idea of a horn that sprout. Verse 17, who is that horn? Who is that horn? Who is that strong king? Well, it's Jesus, the ultimate descendant, who pitched his tent among us. I love this. This is, the imagery here is fantastic. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Lord dwelt among us literally means pitched his tent. Jesus was the dwelling place. Jesus was God's presence with us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, like wave after wave going 
at you from the ocean, coming on the beach. No matter what you do, grace after grace after grace is coming here to refresh you again and again and again. Day after day, hour after hour, moment after moment, no matter what you do, grace is coming towards you. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and he pitched his tent. He lived among us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And he died to give you this wave upon wave of grace. He gives you rest. You know, I'll never forget a time. It's hard for me to talk about rest and restlessness uh, than without me mentioning Wesley as a baby. When Wesley, our third child, was a baby he for two years was up during the night and he would come to my my side of the bed and wake me up every night and man it just drove me nuts for a while for the first year and a half i just was like kid you gotta go back to bed i would get stronger my voice would get more firm with him i'm like go to bed because you know i'm afraid too i'm afraid to lose some sleep you know and uh and Lindsay, after a while, started gently, she's like, I think he's afraid. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, we'll get the kid in bed. Just trust me to do it. Well, months would go by. And then she's like, I think she's afraid of you. And you're making it worse. And she probably said that to me for many months. And finally, 18 months in, I finally said, Lord, I got a child that won't sleep through the night. And instead of get angry about that and spend my life frustrated about the fact that I'm sleep deprived, I'm just going to embrace it and I'm going to get up with him. And so I totally changed what I did. And when he would come wake me up, I would get up with him. I'd go back to his bed in the dark, turn on a light, read to him sometimes, massage him, uh, do different things to comfort him. And he'd go back to sleep. After six months, that child started sleeping through the night. And this is what I realized. That that child was not just being afraid of the dark. He was afraid of being alone in the dark. And he needed a father to come and to pursue him to give him rest. And that's what we get. We get a God that comes to us that says, you got a job and I got a job. My job is to give you rest. Your job is to come. Let's talk about how Christ gives his rest to you and me. Matthew 11, we read earlier in the message at the beginning of the service. Let me read it to you in the English Standard Version so that you pick up on some of the more specific words here. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, trusting in the wrong things leads to restlessness. Putting your comfort above God's presence leads to restlessness. Thinking that it all depends on you keeps you up at night. Being afraid 
of what may happen to you, but you have a good, good father that came to bring rest for your souls. St. Augustine said in his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He's absolutely right. We need to trade the things that we're seeking after, hoping it will bring us rest and peace, meaning and security, and go to the author of all those things, to Jesus Christ himself. We need to get off the couch. Now listen, you don't have to get off the couch, you get to get off the couch. You get to. That reminds me of a story from one of my uh, actually from Lindsay's seminary professor, uh, Dr. Tim Laniak. He reflected in one of his books, While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks, on a time years ago when he was a camp counselor, on one particular camper and what he needed to do to let that child enter into what he was designed to do and into, enter an experience that brought joy and rest to his heart. He said, wrote this, as a camp counselor, I was responsible for a group of fifth grade boys, one of whom had Asperger's syndrome. Frankie Moore had idiosyncrasies. He ate a special lunch. He wouldn't join in many of the group activities. He talked to himself constantly. Antisocial habits coupled with obesity made Frankie an easy target for fifth grade humor. However, Frankie's uncanny ability to recount facts kept his fellow campers in awe. If you ask Fran Frankie who won the World Series in 1967, he would rattle off not only who played, but also who won, and the names of the pitchers and the final score. If you didn't stop, stop, he'd tell you about every game in the series in any year. <laughs> and he said this, I didn't try to push Frankie to do activities that he shied away from. I let the current of the group act interests move him along with us. But I really wanted to see Frankie swim. Although he knew how to swim, every afternoon he went to that pool, Frankie refused to go in. When I asked him to join, he would say, my mom says I have to put on my swimsuit, but I don't have to swim. He could totally tell his mom negotiating with him and what that would have been. Um, I could see us doing that with our kids. Frankie would just circle the pool on his tiptoes, belly bouncing with each step, repeating this pat answer to himself. One day, as Frankie was circling, I got inspired to try a new tactic. I got down on my knees in his pathway and purposely disrupted his routine. Frankie, I asked, will you go swimming with us today? My mom says I have to put on my swimsuit, but I don't have to swim. Tim said, I know, Frankie. You don't have to swim. That's right. I don't have to swim. My mom says I don't have to. Frankie, I know you don't have to swim. You get to. Frankie seemed disconcerted by the variation in our well-practiced dialogue. A small crowd of fellow campers was now waiting to see how the conversation would turn out. I don't have to swim, he repeated. But you get to, I continued. 
We tried these lines out a few more times. And then Frankie Moore's face took on an unusual look of pleasure. He announced with conviction, I don't have to swim. I get to swim. And he repeated his new mantra and then before an astonished little crowd jumped into pool. You should have heard the applause. I can still remember Frankie's beaming face bobbing in the water service after his first jump. It's cold, Tim. He yelled, treading water vigorously. Tim replied, I know, Frankie, but after you get used to it, you'll like it. I already like it, Tim, Frankie said. You know, I think we forget what this is all about. You know, we don't have to come to Jesus. We don't have to get rest for our souls. God has given us grace upon grace upon grace. But listen, we get to. You don't have to lower restlessness in you. You get to come to Jesus who promises he will do that for you. His presence moves and Christ gives you his rest. Your job is to come. His job is to cause you to rest. That's what the verse says, cause you to rest. Who's, the, who's doing the work? Jesus is doing the work. And what's his job? To rest you. Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, which Jeff has put out in the lobby of our church, happy to go drop it off to anybody that wants it. He says this, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required, he says. I will give you rest. His rest is a gift. It's not a transaction. And when your soul comes to Jesus, your soul rests. So where does your soul turn for rest? I want to encourage you to go to Jesus. I want to encourage you to maybe turn off your phone for a little while and instead engage in the 31 days of prayer. I want to encourage you to maybe turn off your phone and have it go off at 7 and in the evening uh, read your scripture with the Dallas Willard uh, Bible app program that we're walking along together in this month. I, I want to encourage you maybe to read Dan Ortland's Gentle Lowly book, which is about this verse in Matthew. Most of all, I want to encourage you to really get off the couch and go to Jesus. Maybe choose a day or evening where you do no screen time and you log in or you go to home group for soul, for your soul to find rest. You've got to decide to come. And I want to call you to do that because you get to come. You don't have to. Christ gives you rest. You get to come to Jesus. You get to get grace. You get to get rest from Jesus. Let me pray that that's exactly what will happen. Heavenly Father, I pray, Father, that um, the restlessness in our hearts would lower as our restfulness in you would increase. That as our hands reach up to praise you, albeit remotely, Father, that we together would sing a song that is worthy of worship for you, that we would be all in, 
fully engaged, choosing your presence over our comfort. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.